One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan. You can call me Shan. I'm Livs. This week on the podcast, we're speaking to Dottie about her new book, Outraged. Hey, Dottie. Hey, guys. How's everybody doing? Hey. hey. Um, so, yeah, this week we're really excited to have Dottie on the podcast. Um, and she's going to be talking to us about many things, including her new book, Outraged, which um, we've all had a chance to read. So thank you so much for sending that to us. I think we all had strong opinions about the book and responses to it. Um, but before we get into it, uh, introduce yourself. And one of the things that we always like to ask our guests is what makes you a dope black woman? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, my name is Dottie. I'm a presenter on the BBC. And I think what makes me a dope black woman is that I am multifaceted. I'm a multi-hyphenate. <laughs> I don't sit in one box. Let them know. I'm a broadcaster. <laughs> my leg. Former rapper. Okay. I've sold records as an artist <laughs> and as an a and I've written a book. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. What? <laughs> Come on. I've run out. I've run out of things on the list. But it's all right because there was about six things there. That actually feeds in perfectly with dope black women generally because one of the things that we pride ourselves on is letting women know that they can be themselves in any way, shape or form that they choose to be. Be multifaceted. Do anything you want to. It's never too late to change your mind or to learn something new. So I think that's perfect. Best way to start off. Absolutely, ma'am. Yeah. Well, before we get into your book, actually, tell us about how you got into broadcasting generally. Like, give us a little bit of your journey, history. So I used to be a rapper, which anybody over the age of 30, when you say I'm a rapper, if you ain't got hits, it's kind of embarrassing to say, yeah, but I was a rapper. So I was a rapper. And then I kind of realized this is not long term uh, and it's not viable as 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 a, as a career, you know, and I think a lot <laughs> a lot of rappers don't have that self-reckoning moment, which is why you have like 37 year old rappers living in their mum's yard. Yeah. <laughs> but I had a, I had a moment where I was like, Do you know what? I I love music, but. Am I exceptional in this area? I always want to be exceptional at what I do. Right. And I started to not fall out of love with music because I always love music, but I started to fall out of love with the vocation 
of being a musician. And almost like, I, I say it's poetic because at, at that exact moment, I was doing one of the last things I ended up doing as an artist, which was a live lounge on BBC um, with, with Trevor Nelson. And you don't, even if you're having second thoughts about a, a music career, you don't turn down a live lounge with Trevor Nelson, right? So me and my band, we went in, we did live lounge and when the mics were down, uh, Trevor Nelson said, you you as a as an interviewee are like a co-host. I don't feel like I'm interviewing you. I feel like we're kind of co-hosting my show. Would you like to co-host with me throughout summer? This was like the start of summer. It was about to be a World Cup year and he was like, it's going to be a special summer. You should come in on Fridays and just co-host my show with me. Like the listeners know who you are and I think you'd be great. So I did that for a few weeks and then they needed what is called in radio terms, Shan will know, a dep, yeah? Which is like when they need somebody to jump in and do a show because the person that usually does it can't do it. Yeah. And they asked me to do a dep um, on Radio 1's Big Weekend, which is mad because you're, you're doing the show, but it's actually an event happening at the same time. It's not any old show. So it was Baptism by Fire. And I knew this was kind of a sink or swim moment. And I was either going to mash up the people with them things or I was going to do a great show. I knew there'd be no in-between. Um, so I, I ended up having a great show. It was, I don't know if it was a fluke or if it was, you know, that kind of like fight or flight where you're just like, I have to, I have to perform. And it was a great show. And then they literally within weeks offered me a Saturday show. They said, would you like to do Saturdays? four till seven, it's not the biggest slot, but for somebody who's not a broadcaster, yeah. it was a huge opportunity. Uh, so I, I jumped at the chance to do it. And honestly, I, I, I say I fell into broadcasting by accident and fell in love with it at the BBC because within 18 months, I was hosting The Breakfast Show. Wow. Which was mad. Award Imagine I could have still been show. selling, Award I could have still been trying to sell mixtapes, you know? <laughs> Mad. Give it I could have been CDs. spamming my link to people. <laughs> Your SoundCloud. <laughs> you know what I mean? RT, man. RT, please. <laughs> that could have been me still. So we give thanks, man. Trevor Nelson saved the saved the uh, electricity bill still. <laughs> but it's so interesting. Um, as you said, you had that moment of realizing I love making music, but this isn't the best thing I could be at. Like my sort of like the best thing I could be at is something else. And that's sometimes that's a really difficult conversation to have because, you know, sometimes you'll have those friends that are artists or musicians and you know, you're like, I don't think you're good enough to make it. But you can't say that because you're the bad friend and you're bad vibes. Sometimes you have to though. Sometimes you have to. I'm not going to lie. And honestly, if you're listening right now and your bridging it keeps rapping in your ear, yeah, and you keep saying, yes, bro. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> now, if you were waiting for a sign, yeah. This is the sign. <laughs> this is the sign you've been waiting for. Like, save your friend, innit? Like, quite often, we feel as though we need to fluff up our friends and we need to... Uh, be, be, be a sounding board and that means not critiquing mm. them right a great friend will be a voice of reason a great friend will say my g True. louder rapting do you know what i mean and i think somebody needs a friend to say that to them right now mm. be that friend be it's that true. friend and, and save them get them on their path we are all you know we are all exceptional at something 
We are all exceptional mm -hmm. at something, mm. I promise you. Sometimes we're just not doing the thing that we're exceptional at. Mad. Mm. Yeah, Do you know what's so bad, Brines? When you see people um, audition for the X Factor and you're like, none of your friends rate you because you're, <laughs> you're not none. that good. Like, or your you... mother. <laughs> Where was your friends? Like... <laughs> <laughs> it's mad. It's mad. I definitely had one of those instances where I had to tell... I, I was dating a guy once and he was a DJ and a graphic designer. Great DJ great dj but i was like yo you need to give up this graphic design business because you're not good at it and to this day <laughs> i'm not gonna lie we're not together anymore obviously but to this day he thanks me he's like if it wasn't for you i would have still been trying to do this and i would have been making flyers for the man them on the road 10 years <laughs> later i would have still been in microsoft paint you know yeah <laughs> so thank you the word art with the shadow you know <laughs> You put the shadow on your text made your thing look dope. The embossed outline, stop it. <laughs> but if you really love something, because you've managed to combine something that you really love with something that you're genuinely good at, right? Like, because now mm. you work for BBC and you've done this as a broadcaster, but it's still you still have a strong connection to music. So um, how did you go from that to then deciding that you needed to write this book? Particularly, I feel like it's come out as a really timely point like it's a really poignant type time to have this kind of discussion about what is effective outrage what's ineffective what's performative so yeah how did that story come about in terms of you writing the book so I am um, it started as an article um sort of two and a half years ago in the guardian um an article that I wrote in response to something which I'm sure you guys remember it, it was kind of a watershed moment when it comes to online outrage and it was the H&M hoodie uh, that said the coolest monkey the in the monkey jungle. Thing. Oh and it was and it was and it was worn by uh, a, black a, a young black boy. And there was there was outrage uh, around this hoodie. And. I, as, as a black woman uh, with, with a black son, I, lo I looked at it and I was like, I can I can see why people are reading it in this way. I can I can understand why it raises eyebrows and raises questions about what that marketing room must look like at H&M, yeah? If, if nobody uh, questioned that. But at the same time, I felt that we as black people, I felt as though it, 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 didn't, it didn't warrant the fallout that it got. And I was, I was concerned that by by projecting our outrage, because our outrage is powerful, right? As as black people, we need to realize that our outrage has moved mountains, right? We have achieved so much of our outrage. I was concerned that by collectively taking down a H&M thing, we were devaluing our outrage. I was like, is this, is this what we are investing our outrage in? Like, there's so many things that are uh, an issue for the black community before we worry about H&M hoodies, in my mind, right? So I wrote an article that said, is, is this what we're spending our, our outrage on? And I was really nervous actually, when I wrote the article. You never wanna look like you're policing people's outrage. Uh, you also, you never, wanna, you never wanna feel like you're detached from like reality. Like you're letting the team down yeah. as well. And you're like, shit, am I going against 
the grain? Am I, am I veering too far from kind of the accepted view? And I realized when the article came out that a lot of people felt the same because outrage is exhausting, right? We cannot, if we apply ourselves to every single affront to our being, because there are many, right? If we, if we assert ourselves in every single situation, we will exhaust ourselves in the bigger fight, right? The, the reality is like, there is, there is a war that we walk into as black people. And that means at times preserving our peace when it's something like a hoodie. And I, and, and I wrote the article saying, I, ch I choose to preserve my peace at certain times. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you can roll your eyes at something or you can say, do you know what, that was... And we do it in our everyday lives. We do it when you, you sometimes you, you meet somebody that says something a bit wayward and you're like, do you know what, I can't even, I'm not even engaging in that because you're protecting your peace. But then for some reason, when we're on the internet, we feel obliged to join the conversation. We feel as though it's our duty to, to join every pylon. And out of that came this book, which explores the nuance of outrage. Because it's not, it's not as simple as, are you outraged by this or are you not? Are you for us or are you not for the cause? There's so much nuance in outrage. And it's, it's the reason why, you know, there's, there are so many intricacies when there are matters of controversy because it's such a complex thing. I just wanted to take it on in a book. I wanted to explore outrage. And one of the main people I wanted to speak to actually was Stephanie Yeboah, uh, also known as Nerd About Town, who was the first person to, she screenshot the hoodie, the H&M hoodie. And she was the first post person to tweet that started that ripple effect of outrage. And it was really important to me to speak to her, to see how she navigated that. And it's a really sobering part of the book, actually, speaking to her and her looking back at that hoodie and herself questioning if if it needed the fallout that followed. Mm. I think it's interesting that there is sometimes feels like there is a hierarchy in terms of oppression and like what kind of oppression deserves more attention or is more valuable. So like my question is, do you feel like your article and what happened later on would have been different had you chosen an issue about sexism or an issue about homophobia as opposed to racism absolutely and I think that's part part of my point in the book is that look there is so much to be outraged about right it, it, like navigating this world uh, especially for us as as young as young black women navigating this world is it's not it's not easy because we are not afforded many of the head starts that others have right so we are almost at a, at a, a from the very beginning we're at a handicap right because of the infrastructure in which we're forced to exist and i am of the view that because sexism exists mis misogyny misogynoir homophobia because there are so many overt attacks on our being for our sanity i feel as though we ha i feel as though we do need to pick our battles and sometimes people don't want to hear that. And I, and I get that. And that's part of why I was very careful in this book to, I didn't, I didn't, and I still don't approach it as if I am an authority on outrage and I'm going to tell you where you're, where you're wrong and where you're right. It was more an exploration. It was more me trying to understand why we are outraged by, by certain things, as opposed to me saying, 
don't be outraged by this, be outraged by that. I hope that people read this book uh, with, with, with discernment and, and at the end of it are able to judge for themselves what is and isn't worthy of their outrage. Like with the H&M hoodie, that was me saying, for me, that was an epiphany. For me, that was a moment where I said, okay, if I stand for everything, if I stand for everything as a black gay woman, I'll never sit down, bruv. If I stand for everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, I, so I have to say, do you know what? Man sitting out the H&M hoodie thing. I, ha I have to for my sanity, but that's not me saying, why are you angry about this H&M hoodie thing? It's me saying, th this is a choice that I'm making and you owe it to yourself for the preservation of your peace to ensure that whenever you are investing your outrage, because investing your outrage is investing your real emotion. Like this yeah. can be exhausting. When you're investing it, make sure that it is a, a worthy investment. And that's a choice for you to make every single time. No one can tell you what is and isn't deserving of your outrage, but you owe it to yourself to make sure that you are genuinely invested in everything you engage in. Yeah, I think I think it's quite interesting that that was your like epiphany as you described it as because when that um, outrage was going on, I was working in a very very white office and I was the only black person, and I always tell them to work late. So I walked into the office like <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to work, good vibes, good vibes. I'm thinking they're gonna ask what my lunch is for today. They're gonna call up my new hair, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> they decided to start this new platform about race, and I had to forefront it. And I was like, why me? Why am I forefronting it? And the the inspiration came behind the um the inspiration came from the monkeys the monkey jumper scenario, but I was like I had to speak to the um director and say I can't be on this project because I don't feel outraged by it I don't see this as a problem I'm still gonna shop in H and M and I feel like a lot of these people are online I've seen people online who are like yeah really outraged by it I'm not going to um H and M I'm boycotting boycotting H and M and you see it with other brands especially like high end fashion brands as well. But then they end up months down the line still being there. And it's like, um, there's no point in me trying to have this outrage towards this brand that I'm still probably going to go into to get my little jersey top. Do you know what I mean? This is the, like, this is the thing with h &M, And it's so funny. Uh, and I don't, I don't think Stephanie Yobo will mind me saying this. She tweeted the other day saying, I'm looking at the H&M plus size uh, range. I'm not mad at it. And it's like, the, re the reality is, and that's not a slight on Stephanie at all, because the reality is like, it's very difficult, unless something genuinely is an affront, it's very difficult to maintain blanket outrage and sustain that. And, and, and look, if you do me, if you do me wrong on a, on, in, in my life, somebody in my life, yeah, I can cut you out because you've done me wrong. If you've irked me in some way, I will get over it. And sometimes we treat irks as wrongdoings, mm. but we can't keep that energy. Do you know what I mean? So there's lots of people that were were, were cussing H&M that shop in H&M. And the, part of my issue with trivialities like that, because for me, that's a tr like the H&M hoodie. Again, as I say, I get why it can be read through that lens of of uh, prejudice. I, I get it. I get why you can you can read it through that lens. But my issue is when when we trivialize our voice on something like a hoodie, H&M and the powers that be can be like, we've, we've seen what you've said and we get it and we are removing that hoodie. Bruv, that, okay, are we supposed to celebrate that as a win? That doesn't, that does not move uh, 
the, the black experience forward in any way. So they can give us ornamental gestures for stupidness because we're getting outraged for stupidness. Do you know what I mean? Like that is like that is not a win to me. H H&M pulling that hoodie off shelves does not better my experience. But you can pat each other on the back and say, do you know what? Lessons were learned. They love that. They love to say, <laughs> we, miss, we missed the mark and lessons were learned. But you know what's funny about that is that I think maybe it was less than five years later, there was another H&M outrage with the black young girl with the messy hair. I don't know if yeah, you guys remember yeah, that, right? Yeah, yeah, and it was like this whole big thing again. And it's funny because I have to acknowledge that for me, I am probably one of those people who takes outrage quite seriously but i try to always make sure that it's not performative so since that hoodie thing i actually haven't stepped foot in h&m and i recognize that i'm probably one of a million people who haven't done that um but i do agree with you that there are things that, and in hindsight even at the time i probably wasn't i didn't i don't think i tweeted or i reacted i just kind of stopped going in there just and largely because I just don't really fuck with H&M clothing. Like, it's not my favorite store to shop in, if I'm being completely <laughs> honest. The quality of the clothes is not... Anyway, that, let me not... <laughs> you see the seam, yeah? You see the seam. I don't even like the seam. <laughs> the stitches fuck up. <laughs> but my question actually was, <laughs> is that... So, like, obviously, you've had an opportunity to explore this, like, between talking to Stephanie Yeboah and people like Rachel Dojo, who... Um, obviously has created great outrage and has actually suffered as a consequence of the outrage she's received and Katie Hopkins. Is there anything that maybe in hindsight you think, okay, this outrage is justified? Because I feel like you question it a little bit for yourself with the conversation with Rachel. You kind of go back and forth about how you feel about her. So when you get to those extreme characters how do you manage that outrage and make sure that it is sustainable or do you protect your peace i think again it, you have to use discernment uh for yourselves i think many people uh with 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 katie hopkins for example uh came to the realization that disengaging with someone like katie hopkins is far more effective than fueling her machine by reacting and taking the bait every time mm. And uh, in the book, I, I have a conversation with, with Katie Hopkins about this character that she's created because I'm a, I'm a firm believer that many people have realised that they can manipulate uh, our responses for engagement and that black rage has become an, an algorithm for engagement for many people, right? And that's part of why I want to speak to someone like Katie Hopkins because she's one of those people that I didn't even need to confront her particularly with the with the interview she's one of the people that you kind of give them the spade and they they dig themselves deeper and deeper mm. and when I when I uh, spoke to Rachel Dozel when I spoke to, to Katie Hopkins these are people where to really to really understand how these people function and to understand uh, their role in the in the landscape of outrage, you kind of have to give them the rope to hang themselves. It's, it wasn't actually about me imposing my views. I didn't call Kate Hopkins and say, hear what, yeah, and start and, and just go for her. <laughs> and it was more it was more me saying, all right, do you know what? I'm about to give you this rope and you're going to hang yourself in my book. And she did. Yeah. And, and she did. And she did. <laughs> in, in these pages, what I, what I aim to do is I don't want to make up people's minds for them. I don't want to say, this is how you should have responded to Rachel Dozel. 
um, or you were wrong or you were right. It's look, I'm exploring this and I'm going to navigate it for you. And I'm going to walk you through the way in which I have unpacked this. What you take from it is your choice. And that's why I say like, this book is like an outrage roadmap, you know, mm. like where, wherever it leads you is your choice really. But on mm. that journey of your little outrage roadmap, when, you, when you're interviewing these types of people, like what was it actually like? And did any of your opinions on those people change? Katie Hopkins, I had to I had to reconcile the part of me that was trying to have journalistic integrity and write a book and the part of me that would tell her to suck her mum. Very hard. <laughs> so very listen, so ve- towing that line is very, very difficult. Trust. Right? But do you know what what helped me with Katie Hopkins is my realization very early on that she has created a character, right? And she has, she's figured out that this is the way to keep her name in our mouths. So mm. me exerting my outrage on, uh, on Kay Hopkins is like me exerting my outrage on Leonardo DiCaprio in Django. Like you, you are playing a part. Like Katie Hopkins is method acting because it keeps her relevant. Do you know how irrelevant Kate Hopkins is when you really think about it? Mm. Like, how many people from The Apprentice do you remember by first name and last name? That is that, that where she's from? I didn't even know that she was on The Apprentice. See? See? Yeah. The I, only like, reason I know about her is because of her race. <laughs> like, yeah. Kate, like, Katie Hopkins, the only reason why she That's ever nice. entered our realm is because she was on on The Apprentice, she was a little bit mouthy on The Apprentice, uh, and then she started getting asked to do these little this morning and all of that. She could have she could have died a death, but she figured out how to maintain, and she did that with notoriety, and we continue to give it to her. And that's why I, when I spoke to her in my book, it was, I was speaking to her kind of from a place of cynicism because I, I recognised that that energy, that energy that Katie Hopkins has got for black people, for gay people, for Muslim people online, she didn't have that energy when she was talking to me on the phone, innit? Because yeah. I think she thrives when she's got a captive audience that will consume the character she has created. When she was in a one-on-one with me on the phone, the mask slipped. And that's why I I say, like, I, I gave her the rope to hang herself. This is the Dope Black Women Podcast. I think so often, like, people are huge hypocrites as well when we think about outrage and what they'll stand for and what they won't stand for. Like, I was just thinking about, you know, as you mentioned earlier about H&M and that, um, you know, it's one. Of, I remember people have had beef with Urban Outfitters and, like, whatever. Like, it's always, like, a new shop. And, you know, one of the things I think about is, actually, if you deep it, maybe, like, 99% of shops use unpaid... Bangladesh workers in factories. Like, what, are we now going to ban the whole high street? Don't tell me everything in your wardrobe is a charity shop because you're a liar. Who made your phone? Who made your phone? You know what I mean? Who made your phone? Who made, who made your, your laptop? Phone? Like, who made your food? Like, Who's weaves on your head? 
Well, it goes back to what we talked about. Shan said it in one of the other episodes about going to the black hair shop and whether or not if you go to the black hair shop or if you buy from PAX, does it make you less black or does it mm. make you more Because they're not black, actually like, owned by black people. Yeah, and it's like how... And I think there's... Oh, Big Mike, have you guys seen that thing on Netflix where he tries to live a day without doing anything that's associated with white people? So goes to black food shops, goes to the mall, and he ends up having to sleep on what the street. Ca- what, what car did he drive? Because that's why he couldn't drive. He literally okay. had to walk miles because he couldn't buy get a car. He couldn't take a cab. He couldn't go to the food shop because the food shop that he the one food shop that he could find was closed or something like that. So he ended up hungry, homeless, sleeping on the street. Did a black person make his shoes? <laughs> Y'all need to watch it. It's it's insane. And he recognized so it's like, how do you navigate trying to be pro-black and support the black agenda whilst not, oh. it's almost impossible. You know what I mean? So where does the outrage, where is the outrage deserving? Like, mm. do you know what, do you know what's tough? I think like, our, like we, we deserve to be, like, there's a lot for us to be angry about, right? There's, there's a lot that needs to, to change and we have got every reason to pursue that change. I think what, what we need to do is also give ourselves room to be fallible. And I think that's sometimes where we fall short. I think, and we're, you know what, we're all guilty of it. Like I have done it. I have done it where you, you hold people to a standard that you yourself may have fallen short of. And I think it's, it's a real issue. And it's something that if we're going to tackle issues, we need to recognize our own shortcomings as well. And like for example, outrage can can really force a self reckoning. It can it can force people to to look at themselves and look at their own behaviors. I've had it. I've been I've been called out on on social media for things I've said, for things I've done, and that self reckoning can be incredibly useful. It can be incredibly powerful. And sometimes we need to hold a mirror up to ourselves. I think where the issue is is quite often we say we're fighting for change and we say I'm doing this because I want things to change or I'm protesting because I want people to change but then we we don't give people the room to change at the same time or we we say I I don't want to hear from you because you did this or 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 you said that or I don't want to hear from you because you've been buying tropical sun uh (laughs) <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You've been buying Tropical Sun Aki, bruv, and that's not black owned. And I don't want to hear from you. And it's like, okay, but what if what if I learn that I shouldn't buy Tropical Sun? Or what if I learn that that what I said was inappropriate? Like, I, 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 oh, have I been cast out? Or, or am I a lost cause? And I think we need to we need to recognize that that's a that's a dichotomy that doesn't match. We cannot be fighting for change while also saying that people don't have the capacity to change. Yeah. And I think we need to we need to leave each other more margin for error, man. Like we're all a work in progress. We are all we are all learning. Do you know what I mean? And it's a it's like nobody has all of the answers. And I think that's the issue. When you put when you put your head above the parapet and you say, look, I am the spokesperson and I have all the answers, you don't you you kind of stifle the growth of your peers yeah. because we're not all there. Do you know what I mean? Like Everybody there are some people that are there are some yeah. people that are just getting their head around um, abolishing the police, and it's like, what you didn't know about abolishing the police? What you didn't know about defunding the police? Like what? What are you not switched on? Are you? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> not what you still you still you let you let you, you still say bame? 
And I'm like, rah, rah, we're not saying babe no more. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> like, cool, like, we need to, we need to still give each other the room to grow. We have, we all have so much we need to learn and unlearn. And I think that one of the issues with uh, the kind of one-upmanship, you get a lot of one-upmanship in, in outrage where it's like, oh, you should have known that or you shouldn't have said that. And it's like, okay, like, cool. Hold me accountable and, and, and allow me to learn. And I think if we, if we are a little bit more reasonable and responsible in our outrage, I think we'll see so much more in, in, in terms of progress. Because what we see a lot of is people getting defensive, man. See so much of that. People getting mm. defensive. And, yeah. and, and and then you you just get pig headed and then you don't and then you don't change and then you don't progress when when really what we want is change and if we want that as I said you need to give people the room to change I was just gonna say as you've touched on like um social media can be so toxic for this and people when they're outraged they end up talking into an echo chamber of people they only they only want to talk to people that already agree with them and it has such a negative impact so you know for example I remember thinking about, you know, the elections or Brexit or whatever. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things are going to be different this year because everyone's on the same page. No, just everyone on your Twitter feed has the exact same views as you do. And then when you step into the real world, you go, oh, actually. <laughs> yeah, know, absolutely, really man. Year. <laughs> like, look, this week, black, black Twitter is gunning for Terry Crews, yeah? White Twitter arguing about David Walliams, bruv. Like, it's... it's <laughs> two completely different conversations happening and both as loudly as each other, but in almost in different rooms of, of Twitter. And we think our conversation is the loudest and you often, you don't realise the progress you're actually making or the lack of progress until you, until you enter the real world. And that's why I always say like, people need to, to practice what they, they post because like the, the conversation can begin online but if the dialogue is not continued in the real world, like what, where are we actually going other than having our sentiments just ricochet back to us? Mm. And I found it interesting, yeah, going back to what you said a minute ago about um, the timeline, because obviously with like Trust Bag Tuesday, which is like one of the biggest social media things that people can gravitate towards. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> but, um, but like with that, obviously you're known for calling people out and commenting on things going wrong. You even called out the BBC, which was like oh such a God. sick thing to do. That's, that was, it was so brave. Do you get what I mean? But I feel like when you then experienced yourself being called out, what was it like being on the other, the other side? Because did that not just feel a bit weird? Do you know what? I think, t- to be honest, I can't even say it feels weird because it's, it's, a, it's a position you put yourself in, right? Like if you, if you want to be a broadcaster and you want to have a voice, you need to recognise that that same voice that you use can be used against you. You've put yourself in, in a position. And for me, like, nobody's above that. Like, nobody is above recognising their wayward behaviour. And that's like that's why I often say, like, rec- recognising uh, a fuck-up or, or calling something out, you shouldn't think that makes you infallible. You shouldn't make it... make You're immune. Mm. And, and that's part of why I explore in the book. It's like cool yeah let's let's be outraged at things let's uh push for change but let's also recognize that the thing we're fighting for can be achieved do you know what i mean and with me like i realized a very very long time ago that i once had a very questionable online persona 
Do you know what I mean? I really, I really, I, in the book, I say, but like, I had to erase old tweets because I realized the version of myself that I used to be will one day come back to haunt me in, in my current guise. And look, if we look back at ourselves 10 years ago, we probably wouldn't have dated who we were dating, worn what we were wearing. She was a mess. <laughs> <Shanzaki>. <laughs> listen, <laughs> like, I'm not here anymore. Listen, everything, everything about the person I was 10 years ago, I, I almost don't recognize, man. Do you know what I mean? But then what comes with the territory is having to reconcile that in front of an audience, mm. right? Um, but again, it's it comes with the territory and you kind of, you have to recognize the wayward, offensive, problematic person you used to be if you want people to embrace the person you are now. Do you know what I mean? Like I've been embarrassingly offensive in my past. Um, but like again, what what is humanity if we if we think that people are stuck in their ways? Mm. If we think people are stuck in their ways, why are we protesting? Why are we why, do you know what I mean? Why do we write to our politicians? Why do we campaign? If we think things can't change, why are we pursuing change? You can't you can't have both ways. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, for, for me it was it was that it was it was trying to it was trying to figure that out in front of an audience in front of of people that will say but you said this so don't chat now and it's like but no but i i i i get that and i've done my soul searching but at the same time people want you to to do your soul searching online do you know what i mean people feel like if if i can't see your soul searching then it didn't happen <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And you get the like, show us how sorry you are, brigade, that want you to go on like a self-deprecation world tour. And it's like, do you know what? <laughs> like, like my accountability, I, 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 I am, I owe that. I owe that to people. But mm. also, it's not, it's not a performance. And that's why often you get people that are more concerned with seeming sorry than in being sorry. Because you stick it on them. You stick it on them like, show me how remorseful you are. Go. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Say sorry. And if I, I don't like that apology, so say sorry again, say it differently. Yeah? And you get people that are, again, more concerned with seeming than being. Do you know what I mean? And for me, I realised that I, I had become a better person, but it was now my responsibility to communicate that. And it's that it's that layer of of outrage that is often hard to to navigate. But again, you, I signed up. I signed up for scrutiny, man. I can't yeah. I can't run away from it. Um, and you you often get people that, in times of contention, they'll just deactivate, or like, well, I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna remove my Twitter profile, or I'm gonna just do this YouTube video and then I'm gonna bounce. And for me, it was it was important to to recognize my, my own shit. I felt like I, I owed that to, to my audience and, and to myself. I have to say, I feel like, and I don't know if you feel this way, especially being in the public eye, but I feel like that um, unwillingness to allow people to change is very, very much more difficult or very much more applied to black women than it is men, generally, whether you're talking about white men or black women. I think historically, whether we're talking about the fact that Martin Luther King Jr. was a womanizer, or if we're talking about the fact that men can engage in problematic behaviors but still get roles or 
you know, whether we're talking about the insane defense of Kobe Bryant post to, you know, protecting the sanctity of his death without having to talk about those things. Whereas women, I feel like definitely get a harder hit when they come out and speak out authentically. I don't know if you've experienced that or if you felt that way, like as a black woman and as a black gay woman, having all of those intersections play a role in your life if you feel like you've gotten targeted or been held to account more than your male counterparts? Um, I don't know, you know. It's, it's, it's such an interesting uh, concept. And I think you're right, actually. I think there is, it, it's disproportionate. Like, speaking from, speaking from my own experience, so with, for example, just to put my, my wayward behaviour into context, I had old tweets um, where I was... I said some horrible things about a, a fellow black woman, right? Um, and she's a dark, darker skinned woman. I don't, for anyone that remembers, her name's uh, Bunmi. She was Mercy in EastEnders. And I, because I, because I recognised and I, and I understood, I think before it became an issue on, on the internet, I, I get, as I said, I kind of, I reconciled and, and recognised my issues before it became uh, an internet thing. And then I think because of that, I I felt as though I was kind of, you know, like, how do I articulate this? You know, like how, <coughs> this is awful analogy, but you know how um, quite often you get like former criminals speaking to youth offenders, yeah? And saying, but allow it, yeah? Cause they're like, they're qualified to, recognize wayward yeah. behavior and to say do you know what like you, this is not this is not the way i i to lisa came out um with some shaky 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 uh defense of her treatment of um uh misha b misha b yeah and i i posted and i was like like we need to recognize the ways in which these biases can exist and manifest themselves in us. Like many of us have been purveyors of white supremacy without realizing, yeah? You have to look at the Willie Lynch theory to understand how light-skinned people were taught, yeah? You were taught to feel as though there was a distinction between light and dark-skinned women. But it was almost like, you can't speak, you can't speak on that. You can't speak on that because you yourself have been the mouthpiece of colorism, and it was like, am 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 I not as as somebody who who has stepped forward and said, "Yo, I've I have fucked up myself. I have unpacked this myself." To Lisa, you need to unpack this shit. I thought I was I thought I was qualified, uh, and not as if I not not like I'm an authority. On, on all matters of, of, of racial bias and microaggressions and colorism. I'm, I'm not an authority, but as somebody who feel like there's a job, there's a job to do. When you apologize for something, you have a duty to understand why you're apologizing, yeah? And for me, I, I kind of shouldered that responsibility to understand exactly where I fucked up. And I was like, you know what? I've, I've, I, I could hide forever. I could be like, oh, I apologize for that thing. I'm never gonna talk about it again though. Or I can I can step forward and I can say, do you know what? As somebody that has been a mouthpiece for fuckery, yeah, I am I am going to make it my business to ensure that I pay it forward. You know what I mean? Like I was called out, I was held accountable, 
I had to do my self-reckoning and I feel as though quite often it's those people that then hide from anything contentious. So when I, when I, when I did a tweet about Talisa, oh my God, there were people saying, you, how, could, <laughs> you, you, how, how dare <laughs> you speak? <laughs> of all people, you are talking. And I was like, I, like, I, I get it. I get it. But if we're calling people, like, it goes back to what I said before. If by calling out things like colorism, if we want to change attitudes, which need to be changed, let's be clear, like attitudes need to be dismantled and rebuilt, yeah, for the betterment of black womanhood and for black people, yeah? We, we need to dismantle other people's perceptions and at times we need to dismantle our own perceptions of ourselves, yeah? If your, if your whole intention for calling me out was to make sure that I recognize that. When I voice how much I recognize that, and you say, don't speak, like, what is the, again, what is the aim of your outrage? Like, yeah. is the aim of your outrage not to ensure that we are progressive? Is it not to ensure that wayward, problematic, damaging attitudes are altered? And if you're seeing somebody exhibit that changed behavior, why, why, why am I like, why, why, why does that, why does that person still become the target? And it's not like me saying, oh, oh, poor me. Why are you still, why are you still cussing me? Like, I get it. Like, I, I get that accountability is not something that you can just say, oh, I tick the box. I've done it. I get that. But I think going back to your point that sometimes we, we, we give each other higher mountains to climb as a long way of answering that question. I get it. But we, 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 give, we give ourselves and sometimes women higher mountains to climb when it comes to, to redeeming ourselves. And I think you doing that, though, is part of you holding yourself to account. Like if you don't then take part in making sure that the behavior that you demonstrated doesn't happen elsewhere, then to me, your apology is performative. Mm. So like I could have oh, like, like, be a cop it. out, innit? I just yeah. <laughs> you could have just said, well, I'm not going to say anything like this. This don't affect me. It's not my business anymore. I don't fuck up already. Like, no, but you were like. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I would have done. A hundred percent. You guys, you, you, you said it on a podcast before where people are spoken about problematic things, cancel culture. And I'm like, I've said those things. I just didn't tweet them. Do you know what I mean? But because I didn't tweet them, I was able to grow and learn, understand why they're problematic by myself in my own corner and be able to move on with life. And I always think like, not that I salute celebrities, but I just think like, that could never be me because it's just mad that your, your whole growing, your whole journey is at the expense of everybody else's judgment. When everybody fucks up, like we wouldn't be humans if we didn't fuck up and make mistakes. No one's perfect. And that's all Jesus. And he's not walking right now. He's in the Holy Spirit. Nobody's perfect. So like, honestly, like if you, if you have gone through life without making a mistake, hold tight you. And <laughs> le like, let me know your secret, innit? You're probably like, a robot. <laughs> let, let let me know how to be more like you because, like, I've as you say, we've 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 done we've done some wayward things. And when I say we, I mean like each of us. It's mm. it's it's part it's part of growing. It's a it's part of evolving. It's part of figuring out, uh, you know who who you are, who you are meant who you are meant to be. And as you say, sometimes that lesson has to play itself out. Uh, in front of an audience but again it's like I can't turn around and, and, and say oh why has my got a, why has my 
mistakes got got to play out in front of an audience because I I recognize that it's it's a position that I I chose to be in. But again, mm. I wrote in the book. I I write like I've written this book partially out of sheer terror that we're just gonna get picked off one by one, isn't it? Because we we have created a framework within which the only way to come out unscathed is to never make a mistake. And it's something that I know I can't fulfill. Do you know what I mean? I can try to be the best version of myself that I can be, but I'll never be a version of myself that ticks every box of every person's measurement of morality. And I think I'm I'm at peace with that now. And you, I think I had to go through a little bit of a public beating to accept that as well. So... Now that you're here, or now that we're here collectively within the context of everything that's been happening in the past few weeks and Black Lives Matter and Toyin and Belly and everybody else, um, how do you manage your outrage? How do you know where to place it? How do you make sure that it's sustainable and effective and actually helps to contribute to what we're going through now? So many things I do. Uh, and I think the book has helped me figure out these things because in the book I speak to like uh, neuroscientists and sociologists and people that have really studied outrage and how we uh, how we exist in the framework of 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 an outraged society and I've realized that sometimes you need to do things like I read more like I and when I say I read more I don't mean books like if there's something that people are up in arms about I read more a lot of people are are triggered by headlines right or they're triggered by something but they haven't looked into the context of it and i'll take you back to that you see the h&m thing you said with the child with the messy hair i was like raw and i looked into it and they did a they had a range of photos right where all the kids had had their photo taken straight after school yeah and every single child in that marketing campaign had messy looked hair. a mess. Had messy hair. Yeah. <laughs> they all looked like a mess. The white kids, the black kids, drapes up hair. That and that was the purpose of their marketing campaign. Was your kids are going to be scruffy after school, and this is this is how a mum or a dad picks their kid up from school. It's for them. They felt that that was the marketing campaign. But in isolation, that looks like raw. You couldn't you couldn't brush the black girl's hair. That's what it looks like in isolation. Yeah. Or uh, even with the H&M hoodie, it's like, okay, oh, it was part of a wild style range where there were kids in tiger hoodies and kids in hippo hoodies. And yeah, do you know what? Maybe it's a little bit shaky that you put the black boy in the monkey hoodie, but okay, fair enough, it was a wild style range. I make it my purpose to never try and react in a knee-jerk way. I think that the internet has created uh, a, a, a landscape where everybody just wants to weigh in as quickly as possible and we want to join the conversation and we, ne we need to put our two pence in and often that comes at the expense of the full picture so I, I have found it so cathartic at times to just be like okay let me what's actually what are people actually mad about and let me figure out if it warrants my outrage and that's why I say in the book, this isn't about me saying you shouldn't be outraged. It's about saying, make sure that you do your due diligence and that 
when your outrage is invested, it's deserving. Because like I said, when, when we first started talking, I said, it's like, outrage is exhausting. If you were going to stand for something, make sure it is something that you are, you are unwavering in and that you can commit to and that you know the ins and outs of why you stand for this thing. Because our outrage is so powerful. If we, if we invest it wisely, we can really, we can, we can move things forward. But that, that requires uh, uh, just a duty of care in all the things that we are outraged by. So I, I guess my tip is to, is to make sure that you, make sure that you care as much as you claim you care. So with that said, with, when this comes out, obviously your book will be out. So where can people find it? Where can people get it if they want to hear more about you? Buy my book at a black bookshop, please. Uh, uh, that is that is what I will say. Um, yeah, man. When and when you've read it, share it. Maybe with somebody that hasn't got the disposable income to buy a book. Uh, I, look, I want, I want, I want us to share this book. I want us to have conversations. As I said, this this book isn't uh, me saying these are the answers. It's about me helping the reader to to navigate what is such a like. It's so difficult. This area is so difficult. So grab the book, Amazon if you must, bookshops, Waterstones, foils. Everywhere. Uh, everywhere. Yeah, just, just, yeah. Book, but bookshops, man. Keep, keep bookshops alive, man. Please. If you can find it in a nice little bookshop, I'd love you to buy it there. Yeah, I guess just like I'm interested to know what's next for you. Um, in terms of, you know, you've released this book, you've kind of gone on this journey in terms of your relationship with outrage, with rage and anger. Where do you think, like, you see yourself going next, especially being a mum now to young black son? Where do you, like, how has your relationship with kind of anger changed? Where do you see yourself going next? I feel like, again, part of why I wrote this book is because I feel like I have a responsibility for the next generation of, of, of my kids. I've got one, I've got another one on the way. And what- Congratulations. What Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, like, I'm conscious of the, of the world we are creating for our kids, right? And I, I don't want us to create a world, A, where we, our outrage is used so excessively that it's become ineffectual. I don't want a world where my my son can't be outraged about something because people are like, oh, it's just, it's just another moment of outrage. I want I want his outrage to be worth something. Do you know what I mean? But also, I don't want us to create a world where there is so little room for error. There's so small margin for self-discovery that he has to be perfect from the moment he steps it. Do you know what I mean? From the moment he can speak, he can't say the wrong thing. I don't I don't want us to live in that world where we're robbing the next generation of learning those lessons. Do you know what I mean? Like if we if you look back at people like oh flip it, Eddie Murphy, yeah. Well loved. If Eddie Murphy had Twitter, yeah, there would be no, like there wouldn't be no Eddie Murphy if if Twitter <laughs> existed when he was making those raw comedy, like th those raw stand-up comedies, right? If Malcolm X had Twitter, listen. <laughs> so um, gener other generations have kind of had that luxury of 
of doing their learning and doing some of that in privacy and being able to figure out who they are, right? We are we have now kind of created a society where I can scrutinize your every decision. So for me, the the work that I do, uh, talking about this book, writing other books, is in that we just afford each other room to grow, man. And I think that's I think that's so important. Like we allow ourselves to say, I messed up or I've learned or I don't know. We're, it's like we're st- so scared of saying, I don't know. I don't have the answers. Like, I, I hope that this book uh, shows other people that haven't got the answers, that they're not the only one and that there's no sh- there's no shame in going on a journey to figure it out. Yeah, that's a great point to end on. I can waffle in it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my days. No, really no, so you good. made some, dropped some real gems, dude. Like, it's, it's so kind I of I was insane. talking, I was like, right, you still talking, though? do you even remember the question blood (laughs) (laughs) no especially for me because i feel like i'm super militant and always outraged so and i'm often on the verge of burning out so this was definitely personally very helpful you owe you owe yourself like do you know how much downtime we deserve because of how much we fight like we, we owe ourselves, we have a duty of care to ourselves to sometimes say, I'm not engaging in that. Like, yeah, I could, I could be outraged in that, but today I choose to protect my peace. And it means that when, we're need, when we are needed, we have got the reserves because mm. we, weren't, we weren't spending our outrage on foolishness like Jamie mm. Oliver's jerk rice. <laughs> Stop we're, it. We're, we're, we're ready to go. Stop when when it. when police are killing us, we're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Because, when it matters, because I didn't waste my time on a H and M hoodie, so you're gonna listen to me now. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. So, where can people find you online? Where can people keep following you? I'm on Twitter at Amplified Dot. Instagram is the same. Uh, I'd say you can find me on the One Extra Breakfast Show, but boy, <laughs> bouncing. <laughs> New, but and watch this new space, horizons. man. Watch this space. Some new exciting things happening. Awesome. Look at that smile. So, We're looking. Uh-huh. All right. So thanks so much for listening, guys. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them from. Um, on Twitter and Facebook, we're Dope Black Woman. And on Instagram, we're just Dope Black Woman 1. We'll be back with you next week. But until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Black the black. Black tastic. Hey. Hey. Obviously, because she's a rapper and that, man just came straight forward as a bath and that. She laid it down. No, like, done though. One take. <laughs> no, do you know what? I really they they come with loads of lists of podcasts, yeah. And I was like, man ain't doing bad podcast blood. Like, I, I do a radio show every day, innit? And they sent me the list and I was like, we're definitely doing we're definitely doing dope black women. Cause that like I I just think with a book like this, it's, it's very easy for me to just come across as like, I haven't written this book as an authority in it and I need to accept that. I fucked up too and I write it in the book and I was like, there's only one podcast I can have that conversation on. Do you know what I mean? So thank you. Awesome. Thank you, my sisters. My, why my word got to be some, some happy, happy word? No, then all the words, words are happy. All the okay, words fine. are happy. I thought you were going to be like, okay, I thought you were going to be like, power, enlightenment, <laughs> belief. And I was going to be like, black-tastic. <laughs>